recording. Uh, we are in Daniel chapter 5 this evening. Daniel chapter 5. And we'll read the whole chapter together. First one says, King Belshazzar made a great feast for a thousand of his lords and drank wine in front of a thousand. Belshazzar, when he tasted the wine, commanded that the vessels of gold and of silver that Nebuchadnezzar his father had taken out of the temple in Jerusalem be brought, that the king and his lords, his wives and his concubines might drink from them. Then they brought in the golden vessels that had been taken out of the temple, the house of God in Jerusalem, and the king and his lords, his wives and his concubines drank from them. They drank wine and praised the gods of gold and silver, bronze, iron, wood and stone. Immediately the fingers of a human hand appeared and wrote on the plaster of the wall of the king's palace, opposite the lampstand, and the king saw the hand as it wrote. Then the king's colour changed, and his thoughts alarmed him. His limbs gave way, and his knees knocked together. The king called loudly to bring in the enchanters, the Chaldeans, and the astrologers. The king declared to the wise men of Babylon, Whoever reads this writing and shows me its interpretation shall be clothed with purple and have a chain of gold around his neck and shall be the third ruler in the kingdom. Then all the king's wise men came in, but they could not read the writing or make known to the king the interpretation. Then King Belshazzar was greatly alarmed and his colour changed, and his lords were perplexed. The queen, because of the words of the king and his lords, came into the banqueting hall, and the queen declared, O king, live forever. Let not your thoughts alarm you or your colour change. There is a man in your kingdom in whom is the spirit Of the holy gods. In the days of your father, light and understanding and wisdom, like the wisdom of the gods, were found in him. And King Nebuchadnezzar, your father, your father the king, made him chief of the magicians, enchanters, Chaldeans, and astrologers, because an excellent spirit, knowledge, and understanding to interpret dreams, explain riddles, and solve problems were found in this Daniel, whom the king named Belteshazzar. Now let Daniel be called, and he will show the interpretation. Then Daniel was brought in before the king. The king answered and said to Daniel, You are that Daniel, one of the exiles of Judah, whom the king my father brought from Judah. I have heard of you that the spirit of the gods is in you, and that light and understanding and excellent wisdom are found in you. Now the wise men, the enchanters, have been brought in before me to read this writing and make known to me its interpretation. But they could not show the interpretation of the matter. But I have heard that you can give interpretations and solve problems. Now if you can read the writing and make known to me its interpretation, you shall be clothed with purple and have a chain of gold around your neck and shall be the third ruler in the kingdom. Then Daniel answered and said before the king, Let your gifts be for yourself and give your rewards to another. Nevertheless, I will read the writing to the king and make known to him the interpretation. O king, the most high God, sorry, O king, the most high God gave Nebuchadnezzar your father kingship and greatness and glory and majesty. And because of the greatness that he gave him, all peoples, nations and languages trembled and feared before him. 
Whom he would, he killed, and whom he would, he kept alive. Whom he would, he raised up, and whom he would, he humbled. But when his heart was lifted up and his spirit was hardened, so that he dealt proudly, he was brought down from his kingly throne, and his glory was taken from him. He was driven from among the children of mankind, and his mind was made like that of a beast, and his dwelling was with the wild donkeys. He was fed grass like an ox, and his body was wet with the dew of heaven, until he knew that the Most High God rules the kingdom of mankind, and sets over it whom he will. And you, his son, Belshazzar, have not humbled your heart, though you knew all this, but you have lifted up yourself against the Lord of heaven, and the vessels of his house have been brought in before you, and you and your lords, your wives and your concubines have drunk wine from them, and you have praised the gods of silver and gold, of bronze, iron, wood and stone, which do not see or hear or know, but the God in whose hand is your breath, and whose are all your ways you have not honoured. Then from his presence the hand was sent, and his writing was inscribed. And this is the writing that was inscribed. Mene, mene, tekel, and parsin. This is the interpretation of the matter. Mene, God, has numbered the days of your kingdom and brought it to an end. Tekel, you have been weighed in the balances and found wanting. Perez, your kingdom is divided and given to the Medes and Persians. Then Belshazzar gave the command, and Daniel was clothed with purple. A chain of gold was put around his neck, and a proclamation was made about him that he should be the third ruler in the kingdom. That very night, Belshazzar the Chaldean king was killed, and Darius the Mede received the kingdom, being about 62 years old. We trust God will bless the reading of his word this evening. So we come now, in the book of Daniel, we're uh, at the end of this uh, section, really, first half of the book, and we've moved on from chapter 4, where we had King Nebuchadnezzar in control and in charge, and now we move to his new king, Belshazzar. And what had happened in the intervening time, um, about 562 BC, was when Nebuchadnezzar died and uh, left the throne and there was uh, an interceding period of about six years where a few different people vied for the kingdom. Uh, It wasn't like today where uh, in America it's whoever's got the best social media army gets the the throne, it's whoever had the longest sharpest dagger that was a king in these days and after a few uh, deaths and a few murders we end up with Nibonidus, Belshazzar's father, as king. Now, Nabonidus was a man who it would appear wasn't too bothered about uh, staying and running his kingdom because after a couple of years, he took power in 556 BC and a few years later, he went off on his own little adventure in Arabia and he left his son, Belshazzar, in charge of the kingdom, which is why later on we read that Belshazzar offers up the third place in the kingdom because technically Belshazzar wasn't the number one king, he was, he was the number two in charge. And his dad, Nabonus, Nabonidus, was off uh, doing whatever it was he wanted to do rather than run the kingdom. So Belshazzar, this man, is in charge. And on the night that this feast took place, we, we know from history, and we can see a little bit from the 
uh, in Jeremiah chapter 53 about the downfall of Babylon, we can see some of the things that were going on this night that this feast took place. The Persian army had surrounded the city. The outlying towns and villages had all fallen to the Persians. And at this moment in time, they were camped out, uh, sieging the city of Babylon. They built dams across the river Euphrates and redirected the river. This river ran straight through the city of Babylon. And it was where their source of all their their food and crops and everything came from. And in the city, they, they felt quite secure. They had these massive walls all the way around the city. And the only ways in and out were guarded with big gates. And they thought they were safe. And the Persians, they cut off the river and they diverted the water. And uh, history tells us that the Persians attacked the city through the underpass where the river runs through into the city. And they got under the wall that way and took over the city. Well, where we come tonight in chapter 5 is at the point where the Persian army are surrounded the city... They're waiting outside and planning their attack and assault on the city. And Belshazzar decides that this is a good time to throw a feast. And he calls thousands of his lords into his banqueting hall. And they're there and they're getting merry. They've got the wine, the food and everything going on. And he's either trying to take the minds off the people of what's going on around them. Or he's so blindly trusting himself and the power of his city and, and these, these gods that were no doubt in this banqueting hall, these gods that they were blessing of iron and stone and wood and gold and silver. He was relying on them to save him or he was just, as was the last hurrah. We're not, we're not told what his thinking was behind having this feast, but it wasn't the best idea really, as uh, history shows, as they were taken over that night. So he sits down in this feast, and we read in verse 1 that he made a great feast for a thousand of his lords and drank wine in front of the thousand. Now, we get here in chapter 5 a bit of a contrast, really, to chapter 1, where we start off in Daniel. We have Daniel and his friends, and they, they make a stand in the fact that they don't take of the wine and the food that Babylon has to offer. And they stand firm to what they believe and what they've been taught. They stay faithful to God and they stay clear of the wine and the food that have been offered to idols of the Babylonian Empire. And we see a really strong faith in Daniel and his friends when they make that stand. He doesn't compromise at all for his beliefs. And it's good for us to note, really, that the strong stance that they took, that they weren't going to compromise anything in any way to where they were. And it's something that we really need to take hold of as well. And especially when it comes to drink and to wine, it's something that can so easily uh, descend into far worse things. And it's something that we should stay clear of, because no matter if we think we're strong or if we think we can handle these things. Maybe we think we're strong enough to do it, but we can see from many examples in the Bible of men that have fallen a cropper to wine and to taking on wine and strong drink and where that has led them. And I can speak from experience in my life too of where that leads you and it's not, it's not a place to go. So no matter how strong we think we are, 
The Bible gives plenty of warnings about wine and strong drink and what effect that can have on us in our lives. And it's best to take the example of Daniel or the example of Joseph and see these people that they completely went the other way. They fled the temptation. They didn't compromise their beliefs or their faith at all. And they stood strong in their faith because it's when we compromise it then things start to go wrong. Well, Belshazzar, he drinks of this wine and then he seems to have this this light bulb go off in his head after he's tasted the wine, he commands that the vessels of gold and of silver that Nebuchadnezzar his father had taken out of the temple in Jerusalem be brought, that the king and his lords, his wives and his concubines might drink from them. Now again, we're told about these in chapter 1. These vessels, where it's noted right at the start of Daniel in verse 2, that these vessels were taken when they were uh, exiled and Daniel and his friends were taken to the vessels, the holy vessels from the temple, were taken with them to Babylon. And Belshazzar decides that this is the time that he's going to pull these vessels out and he's going to use them to drink from. These were the holy vessels that were used in the temple back in Jerusalem. Now Belshazzar, he, we don't know uh, for certain, but it would appear from history that he was probably a grandson of Nebuchadnezzar where it refers to Nebuchadnezzar as his father here, it was a, a thing that was done in those times that, that that word father was more sort of an ancestor or a, uh, someone descended from, as well as meaning directly father. Um, but it's likely that Nabonidus had married one of Nebuchadnezzar's daughters, uh, probably politically, so that he could help in his case to get the throne. And Belshazzar was most likely a grandson of Nebuchadnezzar. And he would have known the history of Babylon. And we see that later on when Daniel speaks to him, that Belshazzar was well aware of what these vessels represented, what Nebuchadnezzar, his grandfather, had believed and what he had seen during his time in command of the Babylonian Empire. So he knew what these vessels meant. These were from the Hebrew God. The gods that Daniel and his friends followed and believed in. And he knew exactly what he was doing when he brought those out. And he filled them with the wine that they were drinking. And he uh, blessed and praised these idols that they worshipped there in Babylon. It was... It was just blatant blasphemy against the name of God. He would use God's own vessels, holy vessels, to bless and praise those idols that were around him in that banqueting hall. Those idols of stone and wood that were doing absolutely nothing to help him. They couldn't even hear him. They're just bits of metal and bits of wood. And he carries out this act of blasphemy in front of all his lords and all the wives and the concubines and everybody that was there, and he blasphemes God in front of them all. And the judgment upon him is swift. Now, we sometimes get this from God. We sometimes see, as with Nebuchadnezzar, that God uh, allows some people time to come around. He gives some people more time than others, and sometimes he doesn't give people any time. Now, Nebuchadnezzar, he had been shown visions by God. He had them explained to him and he had got um, proud himself and then God gave him time to come back round to realise that 
who God was. But with Belshazzar, there's none of that. Belshazzar already knew what had happened to Nebuchadnezzar. So he had no excuse for what he did. He should have known better that these were the vessels of a god that had done wonderful things in Babylon through Daniel and his friends. And he just blasphemes God. And immediately this hand appears. And we're told that the colour drains from Belshazzar's face. I mean, you can imagine really, can't you, the scene? And this scene here, the, the, the writing on the wall, as it's called, is, is a famous piece from the Bible. People have made paintings about it. They've made plays and written songs about the writing on the wall. Um, it's a phrase that you probably hear today when uh, somebody's time is nearly up. You can hear it, the phrase is used that the writing's on the wall for such and such. And that comes from this story here in Daniel chapter 5. And this hand appears, sent from God, and starts writing on the wall. And Belshazzar is, is shell-shocked. His knees knock together, his colour drains from his face, and he's like, what, what is going on? I imagine he probably looked at his cup and thought, what was this I have, I've drunk? What have they given me? But he sees the hand that God has sent writing on the wall and he knows something is wrong this isn't normal this doesn't happen and he sends for his most trusted advisors he sends for those who had uh, failed before all these uh, astrologers and and Chaldeans and the uh, people that were sp- supposedly wise in the lands and they had nothing to offer him They couldn't even decipher, as far as we can gather, what exactly was written on the wall, let alone what it meant. They had no idea the meaning of what had happened. And so this commotion goes on. Belshazzar, he's getting desperate and he starts offering up all sorts of things. He offers up uh, new robes, he offers up a gold chain and he offers up the third place in the kingdom. Which was ironic really because they're sat there having his feast while the city around them is about to be attacked and there's going to be no kingdom to offer. But he offers it up anyway in his desperation and nobody can come forth and tell him what has happened. I just turned off. Um, And so the queen comes in. Now... The queen here referred to um, is not Belshazzar's wife because we read already that uh, the wives were already there at the feast. So Belshazzar's wife was there. Um, So it was most likely uh, his mother, the queen, who was married to Nabonidus. And that's gone off again. Um, And she comes in and she's uh, remembered something from her past. And she remembers this man, Daniel. She would have been uh, around, if she was Nebuchadnezzar's daughter, as is believed in history, then she would have been around when all the things took place, when Nebuchadnezzar had his visions and his dreams. And she remembers Daniel. Now, Daniel, by this time, uh, quite a lot of time had passed. Um, So it was 562 BC that Nebuchadnezzar died, and the city was taken in 539 BC. So it's 23 years after Nebuchadnezzar has passed away, let alone the time that passed while Nebuchadnezzar was reigning. So Daniel was probably uh, an older, oldish man 
by then, older, not old, probably about 70, which isn't old, and he was uh, there in charge. Um, he, he probably was relieved of his duties by now, before, because he's clearly not the first person that Belshazzar thinks of, so he's not prominent in the higher uh, etchians of Babylon at this point. But the queen uh, remembers him, and she tells Belshazzar about Daniel, the man who can interpret these things, who has a spirit of the gods, is the phrase that they use. And she mentions Daniel's name that was given to him by Nebuchadnezzar, Belteshazzar, which, ironically or not, as we know, because God is in control of these things, he'd been given a name by Nebuchadnezzar that was very similar to Belshazzar's name himself. And Belshazzar's name meant Maybel, which was one of their gods that they worshipped, protect the king. And Belteshazzar may, meant, shall, uh, may our lady protect the king. So Daniel and Bel, Belshazzar both have these names, which are basically the same. And he's called in, and Belshazzar, he calls Daniel by his Hebrew name, probably to save face and to save confusion in front of all his lords. He calls him Daniel, which again, ironically but not because God's in control, uh, Daniel's name, of course, uh, means God is my judge. And that was about what was going to happen to Belshazzar right now. God was going to judge him for what he'd done by so blatantly blaspheming him in front of all his lords and all those gathered together. But Belshazzar, he's not given up yet. He tries to win Daniel over by offering up the same things, offering up the third place in the kingdom, the gold, the robes. Um, but Daniel, he is a man of God and he says that he's not interested in these things. He's not interested in the riches and the fame that the world of Babylon has to offer. And that's, that's an easy lesson for us to follow, isn't it? We can see that today, can't we? You look around in the world today and people, they're after fame, they're after riches. They want to be uh, uh, rich and famous, have all the money that they can. That's what the greed and pride of man wants. It wants to build itself up to be something amazing. But that's not what Daniel wants. All he wants to do is to go there and to just give Belshazzar the message that God has for him. To deliver the message from God. And there's definitely something we can learn from that and take on, isn't there? That we're here too to deliver a message from God. God wants us to go out and to tell others about the Lord Jesus and what he means to us and what he can do for them also. So Daniel delivers this message and he starts by uh, refreshing Belshazzar's memory of history, of what's gone on with Nebuchadnezzar, his grandfather. He tells him about all the things that happened to Nebuchadnezzar and Belshazzar would have known these. He didn't need to be told them because he didn't know them, but Daniel's reminding him so that he can bring about a contrast of what happened to Nebuchadnezzar and what is happening to Belshazzar. Nebuchadnezzar was brought low because of his pride, but he was raised back up again because he trusted God. Belshazzar has no respect whatsoever for God, and he's shown that in his actions, and he is about to be judged and pulled down and removed from this earth. So Daniel tells him what happened to Nebuchadnezzar, and how the pride affected him. And then uh, 
In verse 22 we read, And you, his son Belshazzar, have not humbled your heart, though you knew all this, but you have lifted up yourself against the Lord of heaven, and the vessels of his house have been brought in before you, and you and your lords, your wives and your concubines have drunk wine from them, and you have praised the gods of silver and gold, of bronze, iron, wood and stone, which do not see or hear or know, but the God in whose hand is your breath, and whose are all your ways you have not honoured. So not only is he praising and worshipping these gods around him that can't even hear him or do anything, but he's disregarded the God who gives him the very breath that he breathes. The man, the God who gave him life and created him is the one that he's disregarded and that he is coming up against. <clears throat> so then Daniel goes to the interpretation of what is there. And like I mentioned, it doesn't appear that the people there could understand at all what was before them. We're not really told whether they could read the words that were there. No doubt it was in their language of Aramaic, but they're unable to decipher it. And there's many theories as to what was or wasn't written on the wall, whether vowels were there or not, or what shape the writing was in. But we're not told that, so it's not important. What we know is that they couldn't interpret what God was saying, but Daniel could. And that's the important thing. Daniel was a man of God, and he was there to interpret and deliver the message that God had for him to deliver. And it's important as well to remember the testimony that Daniel had built up. All those years ago, when he'd been serving Nebuchadnezzar, he'd stood up for what he believed in when the time was right. He didn't go out of his way to cause a stir, but when his uh, faith and trust in God was called into question, were the times that he stood up for his faith, when the powers that be were uh, directly persecuting against him, he stood up for what he believed. And that was remembered, and he was honoured for that, because the Queen had remembered him and brought him back in. And that was because of the earlier testimony and work that he'd had. And it's important for us too to make sure that we've got that good testimony and good witness to those around us, that people know what it is we believe, not because we're we're shoving it in their faces all the time, but when the time is right and in the right manner and in the right way, that we let people know what it is that we stand for and believe, or when we're called into question, then we, we answer those, uh, giving an honest answer of what we believe. And that's what Daniel had done. And so he was remembered and he was brought about at this time. And because of what had gone beforehand, he was remembered in the kingdom for what he had done. And he's brought forward and he uh, gives the meaning of the words and tells them what the words say that are there on the wall. Now these three words, mene, tekel and parsin, are all used in the Aramaic and they're all uh, a form of of measurement uh, in the Aramaic language and they're all used to measure in different uh, ways or amounts and but that wasn't the meaning of them. The meaning was deeper and God had a, a message that he wanted to deliver to Belshazzar. And it says in verse 26, this is the interpretation of the matter. Mene, God has numbered the days of your kingdom and brought it to an end. Belshazzar had completely disregarded God. He put his faith in these other gods that that weren't even real. And God was making sure that Belshazzar knew who was in control here. 
God was the one that was in control. And he is the one that numbers our very days. And he is telling Belshazzar that his days were done. His number was up. His time to go had come. And then Tekel, you have been weighed in the balances and found wanting. Now, we quite often here in the world, don't you, people say that, you know, I just hope that my good will outweigh my bad at the end and I'll be all right. Well, that's not, not quite how it works, is it, as we know, that it's not your good versus your bad. It's whether you've trusted in the Lord Jesus and whether you're right before God because your sins have been forgiven. Well, Belshazzar was, was miles away from that. He was well and truly uh, being found out and he was found wanting when weighed in the balances. When he comes before God, he's going to be found wanting. And not only has he been judged now, but once he was died and gone, he would have been judged again and sent, uh, no doubt, to hell. And then we have Perez. Your kingdom is divided and given to the Medes and Persians. And again, as we think of the context of what's going on, the Persian army has surrounded them and imminently they're about to break through and to capture the city and the Babylonian empire is going to be handed over to the Medes and the Persians. And that, that final judgment was not just on Belshazzar himself, but the kingdom as a whole now was going to pass on. And those visions that Daniel had interpreted to Nebuchadnezzar about uh, the statue and the different parts, it was now going to come to fruition too. And the next stage was going to be that uh, empire been taken over by the Medes and the Persians. And then we have this, this strange little part of the end, really, where it doesn't quite seem to fit. From what Daniel has just told Belshazzar, you'd think that he'd be, be a broken man, but he, he carries on, he, he blindly carries on and says, give Daniel the purple robe, give him a chain of gold around his neck, and a proclamation was made about him that he should be the third ruler in the kingdom. Which was ridiculous, really. When you think what was happening, that he was about to be killed, they're about to be taken over. He's just been told by Daniel that uh, God is bringing down judgment upon him. And he still offers up these things like he has any say. He's still not, not changed his ways at all, does he? There's no sign of, of repentance or even remorse in this man. He's just... Blindly carries on trying to offer these things that Daniel had already said he didn't want and weren't of importance to him. To him, and he was a man completely uh, gone. <clears throat> and then we read that that very night, Belshazzar, the Chaldean king, was killed, and Darius the Mede received the kingdom, being about sixty-two years old. So then, as we finish the chapter, we we see there's a change in the guards. There's a moving on from the Babylonian Empire, and there's going to be a new ruler come in. In Babylon, But we, we can see from this chapter, again, that the providence of God, how God is in control of everything, how that man can think that he has control, think that it's from his own good that he builds up these things, his power and his empires. But it's only God that is fully in control and allows these things to take place. So we can live in, 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 a, in good faith knowing that God is in control And that he watches over us. And there's a definite example here of Daniel of a wonderful faith in God. A man whose testimony rung true for God in all that he did and carried out for God. And was called upon again here to uh, speak to Belshazzar about what had gone before. And just as a little aside as a close, 
Um, I thought it was quite interesting that we see the hand that's sent from God to inscribe on the wall there. And this was the same hand of God that when Moses was up in the mountain had written on the tablets of stone the very commandment that Belshazzar was breaking. He used to have no other gods but the one true God. Just as a little aside, a little, we can see really how, how God, the whole Bible works together and we get everything coming, coming to fruition together here in Daniel. Let's just pray.